I am always honored to have this gentleman on the broadcast with me, a contributor, a contributor at WRALsportsfan.com and somebody who has been in the business for many, many years now doing a fantastic job covering the ACC for, I think it's, uh, if it's not five decades, it's close. So uh, a big appreciation for Bob Holiday, who is here with me this morning on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets that thing called life. Fresh off of putting out an article that really dives into something that him and I have been talking about a lot off the air and, and that I've been talking a lot on the air with all of you about around the country and the world. And that is the incomprehensible, unfair, and clear disrespect for the ACC when it comes to the NCAA tournament, be it the teams getting in and the seating as well. So with that being said, I proudly bring on a friend, Bob Holiday, to give his thoughts this morning on Wake Up Call. Bob, how are you? Dan, I'm doing great. Great to be with you. Happy to be with you too. And and Bob, you know, you're you're coming off of writing this article and and really researching and breaking it all down. So I'd love to just, you know, leave this as a, give you the paintbrush and have you come up to the canvas and paint the picture of, of what you wrote about and what you keyed in on in your story that you feel like is imperative for people to know about the ACC. Well, first of all, the committee did get it right in 2021. Okay. Um, you know, they actually probably were overly generous with the ACC that year. They handed out seven bids. The ACC in the pandemic season did not have a great year. Five of those seven lost in the first round. Um, two, um, you know, Florida State and Syracuse continue the ACC's long tradition that dates all the way back to, back to Black Sunday in 1980 of sending at least one team to the Sweet 16. Um, but in 2022 and 2023, uh, the committee mysteriously um, fell off the ACC wagon. Um, yeah. And I don't, it, it, it wasn't intentional, but at the same time, just um, I think there's too much focus on analytics and not enough about common sense. Um, the ACC only got five bids in 2022, and they were all high bids, except for Duke was the number two seed. But Carolina was eight, Miami was 10, and um, Virginia Tech was 11, and Notre Dame was 11. And yet, with with seeds of two, eight, uh, 10, 11, and 11, the ACC fashioned a record of 14 and five in the NCAA tournament, far better than any other conference and sent Miami to the Elite Eight, UNC and Duke, of course, to the Final Four, and UNC to the championship game. So that was bad enough. But then uh, the committee doubled down, it seems like, in 2023, and we're seeing the same thing all over again. You know, very low seeds, not enough teams in. Um, and, you know, to be honest, the ACC has not, uh, aside from Miami, uh, had a great tournament. Um, Duke um, missed a key player in Mark Mitchell, uh, and you know, ran into bully ball against Tennessee, which they really weren't prepared for. And they suffered a, a, an unexpected loss. Virginia <laughs> suffered an unexpected loss when veteran Kihei Clark, the most decorated in terms of games played in ACC history, um, panicked in a, in a double team and flung the ball back over his head, thinking that would end the game. And of course, Furman stole the ball and made a three-pointer and won. <laughs> yeah. uh, so those are two things that we didn't see. Um, that made the ACC's performance in this tournament uh, worse. But you got to point out Pitt. Um, Pitt barely got in um, and yet knocked off uh, Mississippi State from the SEC and blew out Iowa State from the mighty Big 12. So it, it, has, uh, it, it hasn't all been Miami. It's mostly been Miami. But Miami's been fantastic. 
And um, so, you know, for the second straight year, uh, the committee's vision for the ACC and the tournament did not come to pass. In fact, the, you know, the committee's vision for the entire tournament has not come to pass. I think um, parity certainly has something to do with that. But I think, well, you know, once again, there's just too much emphasis on the wrong things. Um, November games count as much as the, you know, the, the major conference rivalries in February. I can't see that in this day of player mobility. Um, Kevin Keats had to rebuild his entire roster this year, or, you know, two-thirds of it anyway. Um, Duke also had a major roster rebuild, and then two of their key freshman players got hurt. So the difference between the Duke team of November and the Duke team of February was striking. Uh, meanwhile, you, you had teams like Michigan and Ohio State who were, they, you know, they were great in, in November, <laughs> but they were not in the tournament by, by February. And yet uh, they contributed to the, um, you know, the, the boosting of the Big Ten. I think the main thing, this NET um, really, really gets me fired up. <laughs> um, the ACC beat the Big Ten yeah. in, the, in the challenge, eight to six. And that happened a week before the first NET rankings came out. And yet the Big Ten, 13 of their 14 teams were in the top 81 uh, and four in the top 25. The ACC had two in the top 25 and six in the top 81. And a lot of the ACC teams were over 100. Florida State was over 200. And Louisville, of course, was like 360. Um, you know, when you get to January, it's all conference games. And if half the teams that you're playing um, you know, have low rankings, there's <laughs> – you, you really can't move up. Meanwhile, in the mighty Big Ten, because, oh, 13 or 14 are in the top 81, you know, when there would be upsets, oh, what a league. They're beating each other up. Um, so I think we need some changes. Yeah, you know, and, and Bob, you know, you're painting a picture this morning, like I said, with that paintbrush and that open canvas. I do want to remind people here, the ACC has 18 national championships, 34 appearances, in the championship game, 67 trips to the Final Four, 113 Elite Eights, 179 Sweet 16 appearances, and like you said, including a run of at least one team to the Sweet 16 in every tournament since 1980. So that coming from Bob's article as well, and I appreciate the research. You know, when you look at, like like you said, and, and, and when I spoke with Jim Laranega about it, you know, he he echoed these sentiments. When when we were talking about this, and, and it's, gone, it's gone viral, with a lot of people out there uh, hearing him and and the the disrespect of the ACC, so I appreciate that people are watching it because I asked him the question for the sheer purpose of putting a spotlight on the fact that I felt like this was wrong, and I'm happy that Jim Laranega, you know, gave the answer that he gave, and I'm happy that people are actually paying attention to the answer that he gave because you know he he spoke about the fact that he said you know Houston's considered one of the best rebounding teams he's like you know they could be like what they, you know fourth or whatever he said we're probably 400th but we hung with them so he said you know you can have these metrics but people don't know how to read them correctly and you know to go to Miami and to focus on Miami here for a second in the NET rankings right now Miami is 35th now they're in the final four but they're 30, they're considered the 35th when it comes to NET in the country. Five and five against quad one, six and oh against quad two, seven and one quad three, seven and one quad four. But just to put it into perspective, Miami being 35th in these NET rankings, and yet here they are in the final four. And if you want to continue to look at these NETs and how they genuinely don't make a whole lot of sense, as you go down the line and try to decipher. What, what is the value of the NET ranking and 
what does it matter in the grand scheme of things and and how these teams really have to win their conference tournament or they're not even going to get in in a lot of cases. You have to go really far down this list to find teams that have made it really far in this tournament, which to me is beyond ridiculous. And and again, you know, to your point, to Jim Laranaga's point, to say, you know, you can have your metrics, but you have to know how to read these metrics to really understand what's going on here. And I'm, I, I am, I'm just, I'm kind of thrown for a loop that this is what we care about so much. And there's, there's something to be said about this, Bob, and I want to get your thoughts on it. As I broke down the field of 68, every season I go through the tournament, I break down the field of 68 once they're announced and I give information on every single team. So if you watch the show, you know something about everybody around the country, no matter who they are, what conference they play in, whatever it may be. And as I had the conversation about all of these schools and broke it down, I, I looked at some conferences and I said the committee must have had such a figure as what is called a quality loss. And what I think is ridiculous about a quality loss is that not every conference gets a quality loss, but in the Big Ten, especially as I broke down these teams, I said they must have had a metric that whether they admit it or not was called a quality loss, where if you played a ranked team, especially on the road, and you lost to them by single, you know, single digits or whatever it may be, that there was some type of positive put in your feather cap for that, which I don't understand. So I wanted to get your take on that too, because as I broke down the field of 68, I couldn't help but see that unless a quality loss was a metric that the committee used, I don't understand how some teams got in with 13 losses. Yeah, the, um, there's nothing in the uh, official description yeah. of, of what the committee does that, that I found that's called a quality loss. But um, yeah, there's certainly, there's just, there's a partiality to the conferences that are perceived as the best. Yeah, uh, You can just see, I mean, uh, and, 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 and part of the issue is that um, the, I think the media plays a part. Instead of being skeptical, they just pound the drum. You know, Joe, Lamar, Joe Lenardi is like, he's an extension of the committee. Um, and so, you know, um, everybody's talking about how well, you know, the big 10 is, is strong, you know, big 12, maybe the best of all. And, and the drumbeat continues all winter long. And then everybody starts believing. Yeah. Um, and here's another thing that, that is, is really frustrating. Um, a quality win in November might not still be a quality win in January. Yeah. UNC, beat, UNC beat Ohio State. They were nationally ranked at the time. Uh, it was a quality one win. But then their season tanked, and by January, it was no longer a quality one win. And in fact, UNC's one quality one win, and this is something that really, uh, I think, I, I kept them out of the tournament. Their one quality win against Virginia almost went away because Virginia had a couple late losses and fell from like 18 in the rankings all the way down to 27. Had they fallen to 31, that would not have been a quality one win either. Um, Pitt really, I think, got a raw deal. Uh, Pitt was really penalized for losing to Michigan, which was then nationally ranked. Um, they lost at the Pete by, by 31 points. And and I think that was a major reason why uh, Pittsburgh was ranked number 80 in the original NET. Um, interestingly, Pitt clobbered Northwestern on the road, which is that's, that's the ultimate uh, according to the committee's rules, that's the ultimate uh, achievement is to beat a good team at their place. They beat them by 28 points 
Um, and that happened before the first rankings came out, and it really didn't seem to move the needle. And then, you know, the Michigan loss that haunted them uh, in January and February because Michigan uh, also, you know, lost a lot of games and I think fell to like 60 in the NET. Uh, to me, that's just really kind of bizarre. Uh, if it's a good win in November, it should be a good win, period. But again, I think November is overrated because, you know, teams aren't, teams are still getting to know one another. November should not count as much as February. No, it shouldn't. And, you know, the interesting thing about these NET uh, rankings, too, as I look at them and last updated on March 12th, Miami is below FAU, San Diego State. I mean, just, just seeing this, uh, Florida Atlantic was considered 13th. They are 2-1 and one against a quad one, 4-2 and two against quad two, 11-0 against quad three, and 12-0 and against quad four in this San Diego State was five and five against quad one, same record as Miami, but ranked 21 spots higher than Miami when you go back and, and look at this. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm baffled by these numbers. And I mean, it paints the picture for you all folks. It, that's what, that's what it looks like. Miami 35th, Florida Atlantic in the top 13, San Diego state in the top 14 and the ACC below far below that in a way that doesn't make any sense. I mean, Bob, I just, for the life of me, I don't, I don't see how Miami could be below a Florida Atlantic or below, you know, a San Diego State, and and yet here they are on this list, all almost all the way down this list here. When you look at the top teams that are within this, the teams that made it, UConn was eighth, and they were seven and six against Quad One. Once again, Miami was five and five. Quad Two, six and one. Quad Three, four and one quad four, eight and oh. So even when you look at the metrics and the numbers from quad one to quad four, it makes no sense to have three of the, of the final four teams in the top 14 and Miami at 35th. Well, the NET did get it right for uh, Florida Atlantic and San Diego, but interestingly, the committee didn't believe the NET because neither one of them was a top four seed. Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, that's an interesting message, but yeah, all you can say about uh, you know, Miami's low ranking is total disrespect for the ACC. They feel like Miami achieved what it achieved against weak conference competition. Um, and to the contrary, um, you know, Miami, uh, both Jim Laranega um, and players, um, you know, have said that the ACC is, is very good top to bottom. And in fact, um, Isaiah Wong said that he thanked the ACC after the win over Texas for preparing uh, Miami for, for close games. Uh, seven Miami wins were by four points or fewer. Um, that's pretty extraordinary. Um, you know, Miami did not breeze through the ACC. Miami lost to five different teams. Yeah. Um, and then they lost to Duke in the uh, ACC tournament semifinals, a game you saw that game damn live as I did. And yeah. to me, that felt like a Final Four semifinal. It was a fan- an extraordinary game. Yeah. Um, and so, anyway... Uh, you, you can't have any other conclusion, but committee disrespect for the ACC um, with what's come out uh, this, you know, really these past two seasons. And I, w- I wanted to, I didn't note earlier that, that, it, you know, uh, the ACC's history is great. Uh, and the league is fortunate to have Jim Laranaga um, on center stage now because he grew up an ACC fan. Uh, yeah. He grew up in New York and uh, his coach um, and Archbishop Malloy, Jack Curran played for Frank McGuire um, so he followed ACC basketball as a kid. And of course, uh, he was an assistant at Virginia, 
uh, under Terry Holland. And um, so anyway, he, he's followed this league for a long time. He knows how good it is. And he's, he is telling the world how good it is. Yeah. Uh, he also, he also noted uh, in the uh, response to your question, Dan, he also noted that uh, he got an email yeah. um, from the commissioner, uh, Jim Phillips, that this is going to be addressed in the spring meetings. Yeah. Of course, uh, we have to say UNC Athletic Director Bubba, Bubba Cunningham was on this year's committee, and so perhaps he can share some insight as to how the ACC can better connect with the committee to tell their story, because what's what's happening has certainly certainly been unfair. Yeah, no, uh, But anyway, history does not play any part in the committee evaluation, and I, I think that's a mistake. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's a mistake to overlook the fact that the Big Ten always gets a ton of bids and rarely makes the Final Four. Um, just like I think it's a mistake to uh, you know, overlook the ACC, which always gets to the Sweet 16 at least. So, uh, but but nope, history played not even last year, not even the previous year is it's a blank slate when they sit down. And I, um, that's why I think they're you know we need less of analytics, which actually the analytics ignore the passion and the emotion, which are a big part of of tournament basketball in February. Uh, the analytics completely take that out of the equation. And I think that's part of why we're sitting where we are.